Good morning. Good to see everybody here this morning. I was reading an article just yesterday, uh, and it was titled, Things That Most People Cannot Do. Uh, And it said, most of us cannot run a 4.2 second 40-yard dash. So if you're a football fan, you know 4.2 speed is just lightning fast. I cannot do that. Uh, And I would guess that probably most of us here cannot do that. Even if we tried really hard, we can't do that. The article said that only one out of every hundred people can lick their elbow. Most of us cannot do that. Uh, don't try to do that now. Um, but if you can, I'd like to know. Only one percent of people, this is, this one's funny, only one percent of people can talk while breathing in. So don't try it now, but later today, try to breathe in through your nose and talk. It's pretty entertaining. We can't do that. Most people cannot do that. So those things are kind of silly, but in talking about important matters in life, our expectations have a lot to do with our contentment. Sometimes we're discontented because we have unrealistic expectations, uh, and we put those upon ourselves, and then when we can't meet them, then we're discouraged, and we feel as though we're a failure. And so part of, I think, us being content is to set proper expectations, and then we won't be so quick to get discouraged. In thinking about that, Uh, I wanted to talk about some things this morning that even Jesus couldn't do. And if there's some things that we look at that Jesus couldn't do, then why should I get down on myself when I can't do them? And that's that's really what I wanted to talk about this morning. So hopefully this will help us in that regard. And really I think the main idea is for us to be content and set realistic expectations for ourselves. So let's talk about things that even Jesus couldn't do. In the first place, one of couldn't do while he was here uh, on this earth was avoid sorrow. Jesus could not avoid sadness and sorrow in his life. In Isaiah 53 and verse 3, it's that famous uh, prophetic passage about Jesus, and it says, He is despised and rejected of men, man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. But Jesus was called a man of sorrows. He couldn't avoid that when he was in this life. Sometimes maybe we think, well, I can live just a perfect, happy life and never sorrow. Jesus was a perfect man. He had sorrows in life. What was that about, though? What kind of sorrows did Jesus have? Well, we know, uh, looking at Luke 9, verse 57, it says, As they were going on the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. So here Jesus talked about how he basically lived as a homeless man. He didn't have the nicest things in this world. He had sorrows because of that. In this case, he was trying to get others to recognize, you know, hey, it's not just all a bed of roses. I mean, it's going to be difficult if you're going to follow me because I don't even have a place to lay my head. Jesus didn't have the nicest things that this world have to offer, and sometimes that would be difficult and cause us to be sorrowful. In Luke 9 and verse 22 It said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised up on the third day. No doubt one of the things that caused Jesus the most sorrow was that he was the Son of God in heaven with God, chose to come to this earth. His Father sent him and he willingly came. And he knew, he lived knowing people would reject him. They would reject the possibility of eternal life, that he would be betrayed. He would suffer a painful death being condemned as a guilty man despite living an innocent life. I think that was uh, obviously something that caused Jesus sorrow in life. 
Uh, and so he was rejected by people that should have known better, that knew the law and should have known that he was the promised Messiah, but they rejected him. So Jesus could not avoid sorrow in life. And so if your expectation is that you'll be happy all the time uh, and there'll never be sorrow in your life, that's an unattainable goal. Jesus could not avoid sorrow in this life, and we will not be able to do so either. Uh, and so set a realistic expectation. We don't, we don't want to be uh, dealing with sadness and sorrow, but when those times come, don't feel like you're a failure. That's part of everybody's life. It was part of Jesus' life. You know, another thing that Jesus couldn't do, he couldn't go without rest. Jesus couldn't go without rest. Now, Jesus was busy. In John 9 and verse 4, it says, We must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. This is Jesus speaking. Night is coming when no man can work. So Jesus knew that uh, he had a limited amount of time to be upon the earth. He had a limited amount of time to work, and he was to be about his father's business. And so he said, we've got to get busy. Uh, we've got to do the works of him who sent me as long as it is day, because night's coming when no man can work. And we understand that's talking about there's a, there's a time of opportunity, and it was going to be getting away from him pretty quick. Uh, and so he was busy. Jesus was doing a lot of things. He was a very busy man. In Mark chapter 6, um, I guess before we even get down to this point, in this chapter, earlier in the chapter, in one day, Jesus sent the 12 apostles out to preach and teach. Uh, and, and in that one day when they returned to him, they were telling him about the things that happened. And so he encouraged them, though, uh, to take a rest. They were, they were busy. They wanted to tell him everything that happened. They got back after uh, accomplishing the mission and... It says in verse 30, the apostles gathered to Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And he said to them, come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. And they departed to a deserted place in the boat by themselves. Uh, so when these 12 apostles came back, Jesus encouraged them to rest. He knew that people needed to work, obviously, but also there was an appropriate time to rest. Now, here's what I was meant to be referring to. In Mark chapter 1, on this one day in particular, Jesus went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day to teach. While he was at the synagogue, there was a man with an unclean spirit, and Jesus healed him. Then immediately leaving the synagogue, this all happened in Mark chapter 1, immediately upon leaving the synagogue, he went to Simon and Andrew's house. Remember when he got there, Simon's mother-in-law was sick, so he healed her. And then that evening... Mark 1 and verse 33 says that all the city was gathered at the door. In verse 35 it says, Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. So Jesus in, in that day was so busy. I mean, he had done things. His day was totally full. And he got up early in the morning to have some, have some time alone, and he went to go pray with his father. He had to get away from everybody else and take a break. And so, uh, you know, in thinking about this, though, I think that, our expectation maybe sometimes is that I can work tirelessly for God. But I actually I would say the danger for us probably isn't that we're doing too much. The danger for us is probably that we're doing too little. We can probably always do more, but we need to be reasonable. Jesus was a man like us, and he couldn't be on the go 24-7 without taking breaks. So if you are working hard, work hard, you should be. But if you feel like you need to take a break, it's appropriate to take a break. Jesus couldn't go without rest. And that's okay. We shouldn't feel bad for taking a break. But again, I think probably the danger for us is we're probably not doing enough. But just know that Jesus couldn't go without rest and neither should we. You know, the third thing I was thinking about that Jesus couldn't do is Jesus couldn't avoid making enemies. 
He couldn't avoid making enemies in life. And if you stop to think about that, I I know we understand uh, how Jesus came and lived and the situations he dealt with, but why would Jesus have any enemies? All he did was go about doing good. He was healing the sick, making the blind to see. He raised people from the dead. He cast out demons. He fed the hungry. There were people that couldn't walk, and he healed them. Why would he have enemies? I mean, who in the world would be mad at him and angry with him for doing good? Well, Jesus spoke about a place he was preparing that was forever, and it'd be free from pain and sorrow, death, hunger, disease, decay, thirst, darkness, fear. Uh, And why would anybody say, that's not for me? I don't want to go there. How could anybody in their right mind uh, logically conclude that and become Jesus' enemy? Well, we understand the nature of people. In John chapter 11, verse 47, it says, Then the chief priests and Pharisees gathered a council and said, What shall we do? For this man, that's talking about Jesus, works many signs. If we let him alone like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. So the Romans will come and take away our place and our nation. Jesus had enemies because of their jealousy. Uh, In this example, he was a threat to their place in society. They wanted to have power and prestige, and they were afraid that it would be taken from them. So that set them at odds against Jesus. Uh, And it's, it's just really amazing when you read it and think about it, that a perfect man couldn't avoid making enemies, not because he did anything wrong, but because of their bad attitude and because of their jealousy in this case. In John 15 and verse 18, Jesus, talking to his disciples, said, If the world hates you, You know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. He told his disciples, the world is going to hate you just like it hated me before you because you're not of the world. You're not going along with what they're doing. You're not acting the way that they're acting. The world hated Jesus because he called the world to a higher standard. And he told his disciples, if you're going to follow me, if you're going to not live like the world, the world's going to hate you. And so we're going to be at odds with the world. There is going to be people that, using Jesus' words, are going to hate us for trying to live how he would want us to live. And so if your expectation is that we can make everyone that we know love us, we just want to be loved and adored by all, just know that Jesus was a perfect person and he couldn't meet that uh, expectation. He couldn't avoid making enemies. We ought not to be surprised when people hate us for our faith. Now, again, none of these things are Jesus' fault. He didn't do anything wrong. He was a sinless man. But Jesus couldn't avoid making enemies because when he came and taught the truth, there was people that didn't love it, didn't want to hear it, and so people hated him. And so we ought not to think that uh, or be surprised when people are at odds against us because we are following him. He couldn't avoid making enemies. You know, another thing that Jesus couldn't do, he couldn't make all of his own family believers. This is pretty interesting. I spent some time thinking about this point in particular. Jesus had trouble with his own family and having them believe him for who he was. In John chapter 6 and verse 41, it says, So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? So you've got people here, and I think we can understand their position. They weren't going to be so quick to accept Jesus' claim to deity, uh, nor that he came down from heaven, because they were saying, we've known him his whole life. We know his parents, 
And so how is he going to say he came down from heaven? What's he talking about? And so there was some question there on their part. They weren't just so quick to believe him. In Mark 3, beginning of verse 20, it said, The multitude came together again so that they could not so much as eat bread. But when his own people heard about this, they went out to lay hold of him, for they said, He is out of his mind. So some of his own people, when they were seeing things that he were doing and, and all these people coming together, uh, they said, he's crazy. He's out of his mind. In John 7, from the text that was read for us a little bit ago, it says, after this, Jesus went about Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. So his brother said to him, leave here and go to Judea that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. Here's this last phrase. For not even his brothers believed in him. Jesus was rejected by his own family. Now, they had spent time with him. They had, they had been with him. They had watched things that he had done. And it says here that not even his brothers believed him. And so let me ask you this. Is your expectation to convert everyone that you know? I think sometimes maybe we put that burden on ourselves. I'm going to convert everybody I know, especially everybody in my family. Jesus had trouble getting those in his own family to believe in him. And so why do we beat ourselves up sometimes for failing to do the same, for getting people to believe in him? Now, our desire should be to lead all our family members and everybody we know to becoming a Christian, but we can't make that decision for others is, is what I'm saying. And at the end of the day, they have to decide for themselves. So we need to work hard at it. But we've got to realize that even Jesus had family issues believing in him. So that doesn't mean don't try, but don't beat yourself up because you can't make the decision for others. And our next several points sort of piggyback off of that. The next one is Jesus could not cause all men to repent. Jesus could not cause all men to repent. Now, what's interesting about some of these points we're making is Jesus could have forcefully made people believe in him. He could have just told them they were going to believe in him and follow him, and they could have done it. He had the power to do that. Um, but this aspect of free will and giving people the opportunity to choose, Jesus living, again, a perfect life could not cause all men to repent. In Matthew 23 and verse 37 Jesus said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were unwilling. Behold, your house is being left to you desolate. Jesus uh, was very concerned about Jerusalem. And in Luke 19, you'll remember the Bible mentions that as Jesus approached approached Jerusalem he started crying and weeping over it because he knew he knew the state that they were in and he knew the outcome that was going to happen unless they all repented and changed and so that caused him a lot of pain he could not cause them to repent that's what he wanted to happen and and you get the picture he said I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings he wanted to care for them he wanted to be in a close relationship with them but they were unwilling he couldn't cause them to repent it's God's desire, as it says in Second Peter 3 and verse 9, that all repent. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but his long-suffering to us were not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. All should come to repentance. That's what God desires. That's what Jesus desired. He wanted everyone to follow him. But the fact of the matter is that they were not going to do so. 
God, as we said, could force everyone into obedience, but he left us with free will. Uh, Not all will choose to repent. And so we need to put forth effort in trying to sow the seed. That's our job. Our job is to try to talk to people and try to get them to see the truth. But we've got to be content knowing that if we're putting forth the effort, we can't obey for others. Jesus couldn't get all men to repent and neither will we. We won't be able to cause all to repent. What about the next one? Jesus couldn't forgive all men for their sins. He couldn't forgive all men their sins. That's an interesting thought, isn't it? Now, he had the capacity to, he had the willingness to, but Jesus couldn't forgive everybody for their sins. That's a pretty interesting thought. It sounds a little odd, and so hopefully we can explain what we mean. Jesus had the capability to forgive the sins of the world, but the majority of the world is not going to do things necessary in order to receive forgiveness. In John 8 and verse 24, Jesus said, So he said to them again, I am going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, Will he kill himself? Since he says, Where I am going, you cannot come. He said to them, You are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you will die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. The key word here is uh, unless. Unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. If you don't believe that I am he, then you will die in your sins. But if you do believe that he is the one, then you could be saved. I mean, that, that's how that would work. That's what Jesus was saying. So that unless is a, it's a conditional statement there. Forgiveness of sin was available. It was possible. But there was conditions that had to be met in order to give out forgiveness of sin. And so there were people in Jesus' day, just like our day, who wouldn't believe in him. And so those people, as he said, uh, you will die in your sin. And those there was people in Jesus' day that died in their sins because they didn't believe him. There's people today that unfortunately will die in their sins because they won't believe and obey God. In Luke 17 and verse 3, Then said he unto the disciples, It is impossible that offenses would come, but woe unto him through whom they come. It were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and cast into the sea than that you should offend one of these little ones. Take heed to yourselves. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. That's a big if. If he repents, forgive him. So Jesus taught, and he practiced the same thing. Jesus taught that if uh, a person sins against you, you need to be ready, willing, able to forgive. But there's a condition that has to be met. And Jesus said, if he repents, forgive him. So what would the opposite? The opposite would be true. If he does not repent, you can't offer forgiveness. You can't offer forgiveness. You only can do that if he repents. And so if one doesn't repent, forgiveness can't be extended. So Jesus could not forgive all men of their sins because all men wouldn't do the things necessary in order to receive forgiveness of sins. That's pretty interesting. But if our expectation is that we will just be able to forgive everybody that ever wrongs us, we need to kind of keep that in check. Jesus was unable to do that, and neither will we be able to. Now, we should be ready. We should be willing, but only when conditions are met. And when conditions are met, then we need to be ready to offer forgiveness. All right, so there's six things that Jesus couldn't do. And I hope I hope you don't misunderstand me. Jesus had the power to do anything he wanted to do, but there's free will of people involved. 
and living life as a man, he dealt with, he dealt with people and he dealt with people issues. So the whole point that we're talking about is don't beat yourself up feeling like you're a failure if you have these unrealistic expectations because Jesus couldn't do these things and we won't be able to either. All of those things sort of relate to us and and day-to-day life. And so hopefully we understand that we can be content if we set realistic expectations. Um, and, And again, I think we need to shed guilt that comes from trying to set goals for ourselves that we can't meet. If Jesus couldn't do it, then why do we think we can All right, so those are six things. I've got one more that I want to close with. One more thing that Jesus couldn't do. And the last one doesn't really, doesn't really, I mean, it pertains to us, but it's not something that that we're going to do, I I don't think. The last thing that Jesus couldn't do is elude death on the cross. I wasn't really sure what, what word to use there, so I chose elude. Elude means to evade or escape from. Now, it was well within Jesus' power to stop all the mistreatment that happened to him. John 10, verse 18, Jesus said, No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. The Bible tells us that Jesus could have called 10,000 legions of angels angels to come and protect him if he wanted to. He, he had the power to escape the death on the cross. But Jesus couldn't escape dying on the cross because he knew that, number one, it was his Father's will, and number two, the salvation of the world depended on it. And this is, this is really powerful. And this should mean something to all of us. In Hebrews chapter 2, beginning at verse 10, it says, We see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. For it became him for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons unto glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. That's just some powerful verses. He, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. That was the will of the Father. Notice here it says, uh, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. And here it says, because of all this, uh, it says that he could bring many sons unto glory. That's just, just a powerful verse, all the things to consider there. Jesus didn't have to go to the cross. He could have avoided it. It was within his power. But it was his father's will, and he knew that our salvation depended on it. We could not be saved if Jesus didn't die on the cross, and through his death, we can have life. And because of that, it can be said in 1 John 2 and verse 2, that he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. He is the propitiation for the sins of the whole world. Because of his death, John could make that statement. And so there's something else that... Again, we're not going to have to make that decision, I don't think, uh, to submit ourselves to go die on a cross. But Jesus couldn't elude the death on the cross because of his great love for us so that we could have a hope of heaven and a chance to be saved. All right. The question this morning is, are you saved? Have you done what you need to do in order to receive forgiveness, in order to be in a good standing with God? Have you taken advantage of Jesus' death? If you'd like to obey the gospel this morning, we would be glad to baptize you into Christ this morning. And if you need us to pray for you, if you need us to pray with you, if there's some issue in your life that you need to make known, please come forward while we stand and while we sing.